take your Bibles, if you got them at home, all over the building here, and let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. While you're turning, let me update you. This Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, where we're going to celebrate Easter. We're planning on a great big drive-in bash in the south parking lot, but it's not looking good right now. <clears throat> For two reasons, the weather's going to mess us up a little bit because we can't have our cameras in the rain and we can't have our preacher in the rain either. So it looks like it may get, we'll let you know by Friday, we'll send out a note and delay it. But even if we can't do it this Sunday, <clears throat> I'm getting real lonely without y'all. We're going to start every Sunday we can. We're going to start doing it out in the back parking lot and just have a drive-in on Sundays out there if weather permitting. And we'll just have a grand time and celebrate big. But we'll let you know real quick because I am missing you. And I need to see your face, make sure you still love me. All right, we'll get that out quickly. All right, tonight, we're going to have so much fun. And I get to talk about my favorite thing in the Bible. I, I just get so excited when I study and read and teach on, on what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, people have asked me several times during this uh, virus thing, do you think this is a sign from heaven? Doesn't matter what I think. Only thing that matters is what the Bible says. Certainly this is a sign from heaven. And we're going to look at that tonight as we look at scripture. Is it a sign from God? Certainly it is. We're going to talk tonight about where are we on God's calendar? Where are we at on God's calendar according to scripture? And uh, we're going to look at where we're at in world history on God's calendar. Let me tell you something about world history. Since we didn't create the world, we don't get to design its history. He who created the heavens and the earth will order its history. All right, world history just boils down to this. Thy will be done. World's history is just thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And you can actually take world history and divide it into three sections. And you can divide the Bible into three sections according to world history. The first section of world history is where his will was done. And that's the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. He created the most beautiful earth. I mean, it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. He put man and woman in it. He blessed them. He caused them to love each other. There was no friction in the relationship. He told them, be fruitful. That's not to have children thing. That's to be multiply part, to be multiply part. He told them to be fruitful. Show me what you can do in the earth. The earth is yours. I give it to you. Go out there and produce and do well. And, and what do you see right there? You see the father's heart. You see the heart of God to put us in the most beautiful place, give us great relationships, turn us loose. I've given you everything you need. Now go show me what you can do. That was thy will be done part one. All right in the Bible from Genesis chapter three to Revelation chapter 20 is thy will not being done. Revelation three is where we have the fall of man. You say, well, why, why did God let that happen? <clears throat> it's a very easy answer. He said, I want to know whether you love me or not. And the only way I can find out whether you love me or not is give you a chance not to love me. So I'm going to put you in this beautiful earth. I'm going to give you one command, one. Don't touch that tree. And if you love me, you won't touch it. If you don't love me, you will touch it. Dear ones, I, the bottom line is, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That's just the bottom line with Jesus always has been. And man chose not to obey that. So what we have in that period right there, all that stuff that went on through there, we have his will rejected. And, and we're in that place now where you see the consequences. Decisions have consequences. I know we don't like to hear that in our nation right now, but I want to make an announcement. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. Decisions have consequences. And we're reaping the consequences of our decision from that period to this. So we're in that period right now where his will is being done to those who will call on him and honor him and follow him. But mostly what you're seeing today is his will not being done. Surely you don't think a good God would do this in the earth. He's better than this. 
And then the third period of world history, in that period, that second period though of man in rebellion, the, what we would call world history through there, what you have is the love of God who will not let us go. You have the redemption of God where into this fallen, broken world where man has rebelled against God, he sent his son. And, and as, as Richie talked about, the just the unfathomable fact that he would send his son to die and redeem us back shows you the heart of God. So we're in that place right now where people have an opportunity to turn back to their creator and love him. And then that period of history ends in Revelation 20. And then Revelation 21 on, you say, well, it's not but two. Yeah, but them two cover a lot of ground right there. Revelation 21 on is the third period of world history called thy will be done perfectly. And so what you have is paradise, paradise lost and regained, paradise forever. That's world history. And it's all about thy will be done. Everything he does is about thy will be done. So tonight we want to look, let me make an announcement. God's got a calendar. He has a calendar. The Bible talks about dates that are set on that calendar. And tonight I want to look in scripture. I love this stuff. We want to look at five dates on God's calendar, five dates that are on God's calendar. And the first one begins, number one begins with the great promise and the great promise that we all live in right now you know, if you were to promise somebody 270 times something, 270 times, you'd think you'd keep your promise. 270 times in the Bible, he talks about the second coming of Jesus to the earth. It is called the great promise in the earth. And it is that Jesus, listen, this is not the big deal we're in right now. This is the staging part for the big deal. This is the pregame warmups, what we're in right now. Earth is a dress rehearsal for the big show. And when Jesus comes back, well, I don't think it calls it the big show in the Bible, but it is the big deal. And uh, let me give you just a couple of places, those promises. We're going to look at one. Acts chapter one is where Jesus was lifted up into glory after he was resurrected. And the angel said to the men in verse nine, why do you stand gazing at the skies? This same Jesus that you saw go into heaven shall so come in like manner. And he told him right there, the same Jesus that went up, he's coming right back one day. Revelation chapter one, verse seven says this, he is coming with the clouds and every eye shall behold him. Every single person is going to see him come. But I want you to look with me in second Peter. I love this passage right here in second Peter, where it talks about the patience of God and he's waiting for everybody to make decisions. And then once the last decision is made, when the last person's made that decision, that's it. And what we call world history, it's just stage two, will wrap up. And uh, Second Peter, this is a fascinating pa passage. What we're going to look at tonight is so wild that human intellect struggles with it. But I just want to ask you one simple question. Is it in the Bible or not? And if it's in the Bible, we believe it. Second Peter chapter three, let's look in verse, about verse second. Second Peter three, seven. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the word of God, are reserved for what? Fire. The earth you're sitting on right now is reserved by God for fire and for judgment <clears throat> until the day of judgment, perdition of undodged men. All right, verse eight says this, do not forget this one thing with the Lord. One day is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. Verse nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What's the promise? Talking about the promise of the second coming of Jesus, the culmination of the ages. The Lord is not slack as some count slackness, but is long suffering. Why has Jesus not come back yet? Because God is patient. He is long suffering. And here's the reason, not willing that any should perish. If you have a family member or a friend that is not saved, hadn't accepted Jesus, you underline that right there. 
and you take that in prayer and you realize that God is not willing that any, not one person. The Bible said the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. Second Timothy said God desires all to be saved. You say, well, why don't Jesus, why don't Jesus come back and get us out of this mess? Right there's the answer. Because people aren't ready yet. The Lord is patient and, and he longs for all to be saved and that all should come to repentance. Now, <clears throat> he shifts gears in verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Does that mean that Jesus is coming back to steal something doesn't belong to him? It means he's coming off guard. The only way a thief can get anything, he's got to come when you don't expect it. And Jesus is coming when we're off guard. And the Bible said this, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works that are in it will be what? Burned up. You ever heard of global warming? There it is. The Bible said this earth is not to be eternal. This earth is reserved for fire and it'll be burned up and uh, <clears throat> will melt. All right, verse 11. Therefore, watch these words. Since all these things will be dissolved. What does the Bible say about everything you can see with your eyes right now? It's going to be dissolved. It's going to be dissolved in heat. And then I love verse 11 because it goes on to say, if this is true, it should affect the way we live. If this is true, it should shape our lives. Well, of course it does. We love this stuff. All right, verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. The word hastening is not the best. The Greek word is better translated in the revised version, earnestly desiring. The Bible said we should be looking forward to and earnestly desiring this day of God. The Bible says... <clears throat> Because of the heavens which will be dissolved, being on fire, elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, you say, well, boy, that, thank you for bringing me here tonight and telling me everything's going to burn up. That's not what we look forward to. We don't look forward to the fire, Doc. We look forward to verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, here's the promise again, look for new heavens and a new earth in which right dwells. There's another earth coming, and it's going to be right in that earth. And then just a little bit of the next verse. Therefore, beloved, <clears throat> looking forward to these things. Tell me what the Bible says I'm supposed to be looking forward to. The second coming of Jesus and what he'll do when he comes back. So this is the great promise that God has given us that Jesus is coming back. I want to tell you something, Jesus is coming back to this earth. It's not like this is the big deal and okay, when it's all done, he'll come back. This earth was created for Jesus to come back to it. This is just a staging period so that everybody gets to make the one great decision in their lives. Are you going or are you staying when Jesus comes back? All right, <clears throat> number two, the second thing we see in the Bible. Before Jesus comes back, you have to have what the Bible calls birth pangs. Now, I'm out of my league here. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I have stood behind, beside one woman three times going through this stuff. And before a woman can give birth, a good bit before, she starts what's called birth pangs. The birth pangs are not the birth. It's just the sign that you can rest assured within a few hours, something's going to be here. So what did Jesus, Jesus said this, before I come back to this earth, there's going to be something called birth pangs in the earth. These are the signs that we look for to see when Jesus is coming back. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 24 is the premier passage where Jesus spoke about what would go on in the earth before he came back. I love Matthew 24. It, it's just the most, it's the most stunning passage where he makes it so simple and he unfolds world history right up to the second coming. I, I just love this right here. He's sitting there one day and they, they had the most beautiful temple. It was called Solomon's Temple. It was, it was majestic. It took years and years to build it. And one day they were bragging on their church and they said to Jesus, look at the beautiful buildings. And Jesus said, 
there's going to come a day when not one stone will be standing on another. Now remember, Jesus was a prophet, priest, and a king. He filled every office, and he prophesied there'll come a day there won't be two bricks standing here. They said, what? This is the most magnificent building in the earth. He said, there'll come a day there won't be two bricks up here. And then they asked him a simple question in Matthew chapter 24. Verse 3, they said this. He sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your second coming and the what? The end of the age. Now, obviously, Jesus had spoken that he was coming back after he left. And Jesus spoke about something called the end of the age. And uh, so they came to him and said, we'd like to, are there any signs we can look for? And uh, are, are there any signs in this thing? And Jesus very clearly pointed them to these signs. Matter of fact, look with me in verse 8. <clears throat> He said this, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, the word translated sorrows there is the Greek word birth pangs. Uh, and, and, you know, even the Bible uses three words, travail, sorrows, birth pangs for the same thing. When a woman begins to go into labor, she travails, she has sorrows. And uh, I was there three times. It's pretty sorrowful. Now, you get happy after it's over, as the Bible says, but it's, it's sorrow to start with. And Jesus said, these things are the beginning of sorrows. This is what you'll see when we're moving toward the second coming of Jesus. And uh, I've heard people say, well, you, nobody can know that stuff. If you're a believer and you don't know it, something's wrong. All right, look with me. Verse 34, 32, verse 32. See if this doesn't apply right now. Uh, Matthew 24, 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer's near. How many of you are that smart? I mean, if you're smart enough that when you see little buds peeking out, you know uh, it's April, summer's just around the corner. Can y'all figure that out? All right, Jesus said this. If you can do that, verse 33, so you also, when you see all these things, know it is near, near the doors. Jesus said, if you've got enough sense to look at a tree and see the leaves start to break out and know that summer's real close, you should have enough sense to read this book and know like a bride waiting for his groom, Jesus is coming back soon. I mean, right there it is, Doc. Jesus said, you should know these things. And this is the goodness of God to give us this book so, so that we can know what's going on and when it comes. And he, he paints very clear picture. And I want to take just a minute. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. But I want to look at a few things he said in this passage. That, and I just want you to be the judge. Jesus is going to tell you what he's going to say. And you be the judge of whether this is happening in our earth today or not. Are you ready? Let's look at a few of them. Not many, but let's just look at a few of them. Matthew chapter 24, verse 7. Jesus said this. Nation will rise against nation. Global strife. The word there is ethnos. It doesn't mean nation like America, France, Canada, Mexico. It's ethnos. We get our word ethnicity out of it. Racial problems. Ethnicities will turn against ethnicities and struggle with each other. You're going to see racial tension in the earth. Guess who it is that stirs racial tension in the earth? Sure not the Spirit of God, who is the Holy Spirit that brings people into unity. There's three he mentions in verse 7. Look at the next one. He said, nation will turn against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. All right? That means we need to be looking for famines in the earth. This morning, world news, quote, United Nations points out that a famine of global proportion is coming like nothing we have ever seen in Southern Africa. That's this morning's headlines. The locusts that are covering Africa right now. And Jesus said, you're going to see famine. Let me show you one more in this passage right here. He said, there'll be famines. And then there's something called pestilence. You ever heard that? Pestilence doesn't mean pest like a bug. 
the Greek word pestilus is the word loemos. It, it would be pronounced loemos to say it in English. Vine's Expository Dictionary of Greek New Testament Words, which is the gold standard of Greek New Testaments, defines loemos or, or pestilence like this. Global deadly infectious disease. Does anybody know of a global deadly infectious disease circling the globe right now? Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen. And then he went on to point out, of course, upheaval, upheavals in our geography. Earthquakes would come. Now, verse nine, verse nine, watch this. He said this. They will deliver you up to trouble and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. What's the Bible say? Growing antagonism toward Christianity all over the earth right now. I mean, we're, we're not being persecuted in America. We're being, you know, people are cocking their eyes at us, but we're not being persecuted here. But around the globe, people are suffering terribly for the name of Jesus. You say, well, why, why, is it, why is the globe turning against Jesus? First John 4 is the answer. This is the spirit of Antichrist who is active in the earth right now. And the spirit of Antichrist, listen, the enemy knows who loves Jesus and who belongs to Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. Every time Jesus cast out a demon, not every time, many times they would speak and they would say, we know who you are. You're the son of God. You can mark it down. The enemy who runs this planet knows who loves Jesus and who doesn't. And you're going to see antagonism toward the faith, toward Christianity in those days. See if you agree with me on number, look in verse 10. See about this one right here. Many will be offended betray one another and hate one another. The Bible points toward relational breakdowns in the earth. Do you know of a planet anywhere where people are struggling to get along right now? Let me throw in 2 Timothy 3, 1 here. Know this. Listen, if God said know this, we should know this. Know this, that in the latter days, the Spirit speaks expressly, difficult times will come because men will be self-centered, greedy, arrogant, boastful, proud. They will be irreconcilable, creators of what's despised, disobedient to parents. I read that in the newspaper this morning. And the Bible said there'll be a breakdown in personal relationships. We have gone from Mayberry to Main Street in my generation. A breakdown of relationships in the culture right now. Uh, look with me in verse 11. Many false prophets will arise and do what? Religious confusion and deception is going to cover the earth. When I was a boy, a lot of people didn't follow Jesus, but they knew who he was. And the Bible was the book, and everybody knew that when I was a kid. And now we live in a day where there's a hodgepodge of religions, and even within what we call Christianity. I saw a survey from Mr. Barna today. This is the craziest thing. Listen to this. It said, many will rise in the name of Jesus and deceive many. 54% of Americans claim to be Christians but say they are not born again and are not saved. That's 54%. Pray tell, how can you be a Christian and not be born again? That's the religious confusion and deception he spoke of. And you're gonna see a proliferation of just crazy religious ideas in the earth right now and the foolishness that comes out of it. This is one of the signs that he gave us. See if you, uh, see if you notice this one in there, verse 12. This is one of the saddest verses. Verse 12, lawlessness will abound anarchy anti-law enforcement, anti-law. We're in a global, we're in a pandemic right now. You can't even get people to stay six feet apart from each other in this land. They're not gonna listen to what the government tells them to do. And there's a spirit of anarchy. The Bible said anti-law, they will be against the law. And then the next one is probably the one that's most identifiable. And it said, because the uh, lawlessness will abound, love will begin to disappear in the earth. 
the love of many will grow cold. In other words, hearts are going to become harder and harder and harder in the earth before Jesus comes back. You be the judge as he gives these things. Let me throw in one more here. This, this just, uh, let's throw in a good one here. Verse 14 says this, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world as a witness to all the nations. What the Bible say? Global evangelism. Before Jesus can come back, this gospel has got to go all around. Let me tell you something. We don't just have our religion. The gospel of Jesus, that cross right there, the gospel of Jesus is the only hope of humanity. That's it. That's the only hope of humanity. But that message is called the gospel. What did the Bible say? It's got to circle the globe before Jesus can come back. It's got to be preached to all the nations. Now, when I first became a Christian, that wasn't possible. You know, back in the Model A days, it wasn't possible. But we have the technology now that the gospel can go around the globe. And, and one of the things that had to happen before Jesus could return was global evangelism. The message of Jesus and the salvation of mankind had to get out to all the earth. Well, it's there now. Now, not every tribe and tongue and nation has it in their language. But we, listen, we're close to it. And the message of the cross is going around the globe. And one of the prophecies would be that that had to happen. And now, <clears throat> once in a while, folks, oh, you're one of them people that believes that the end's going to come. All right, let's read that verse again. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then what? The end will come. I want to make an announcement. The end will come. I don't know when, but I can ballpark it. I can tell you if you, now listen, you be the judge. When you see these things begin to happen, know that it's near even at the door. If you can see your peach trees budding, you can know summer's coming. You can look at this and know that Jesus is going to be there. All right, there's one more that I want to show you. And this, a lot of people are upset about this last one. I hear preachers screaming about this last one. I just want to say, do you not own a Bible? There's the answers to life are in the Bible. Let's look at this last one. It's in 2 Thessalonians. I want you to turn me to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. A lot of people are concerned today because churches are dying and churches are shrinking and Christianity is not as favorable as it was in the nation. And and people are turning away from God today, and that's making people nervous. Let me show you what the Bible says about that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is another prophecy about the second coming of Jesus. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus, listen to me, 270 times in the Bible it speaks about the second coming of Jesus. That's a big deal right there. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to Him, Verse three, let no one deceive you by any means that they will not come unless the falling away comes first. What has to come before Jesus can come back to the earth? Don't be deceived. This falling away has to come first. It's the Greek word apostaseo, or we would use the word apostasy. The great apostasy. Before Jesus is coming back to this earth, people are going to turn away from it. Churches are going to start dying. Denominations are already dying. And you're going to see people fall away from the faith the Bible said before Jesus would come back, there would be a falling away from the faith. Now, let, let me put this in a simple language. People have tried to understand what this means. This is not hard. Can you fall away from something unless you were there? The answer is no. These are people who, I don't know whether they were true believers or not, but they attended church. They claimed they loved God. They followed God. They obeyed His commands. But all of a sudden in the latter days, people begin to turn away from God and begin to turn away. They don't attend church anymore, yada, yada, and all that. Listen, people are upset about it. What did the Bible say would happen? Before Jesus comes back, there will be, I think it's probably a dividing of sheep and goats. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, Jesus said that there would be a dividing and a falling away. Now, you say, well, thank you for encouraging me with all those signs tonight. I didn't write them in the Bible. Jesus did. 
Now here's, let me show you, let me give you one more here. What should be our attitude in these days of, of lawlessness, hard hearts coming, disease spreading around the earth, people leaving church? What should be our attitude? Groan and moan and whine? How about let's Jesus decide? This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I, I just, I quote this a lot. Luke 21, 28 says this. When you see these things begin to happen, do you reckon he thinks we ought to be able to see some things? When you see these things begin to happen, lift up your head and rejoice knowing that your redemption draweth nigh. What should be our attitude when we see Man, the paper reads like the Bible. The Bible reads like the morning paper. What should be our attitude? Praise God, Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is coming back again. So the Bible says that we need to adopt an attitude of celebration and gratitude because he's coming back. All right, you got it? God makes this promise. It's all about the second coming of Jesus. Everything is just a warm-up until Jesus gets back to this earth for the bridal party. Here are the signs that you'll see as we go through this thing. And then the third date after that period on God's calendar is called the rapture of the church. Some people struggle with it. Let me just show it to you in the Bible. You see what you think. The rapture of the church. I'm going to show you two things about this. We're also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Somebody's going to leave this earth. I want you to see this. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It talks about a falling away, the coming of Jesus. It says that a man is going to be revealed... And in one man, you'll have all the power of Satan embodied. Let me, let me just take a minute here and tell you what the Bible says. Daniel, Revelation, 2 Thessalonians. Our nation, excuse me, not our nation, our world, our, our world is fixing to go in such a global crisis and we will be in such a mess that one man will rise up and he'll declare, I can lead us out of this mess. And the Bible said in this passage that God will deceive the world and let them follow one man. And we're, listen, a lot of people are excited about globalism. The Bible knew about globalism before we started yelling about it. And we will become a global world and one man will lead this globe, but he is not who we think he is. And the Bible said that he'll write, he's called the man of sin who will be revealed. That's in 2 Thessalonians uh, 2 also right there. But watch what's going to happen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Let's just pause a minute. Why do people do the things they do? Why, why would a man molest a three-year-old child? Why would people do the crazy things they do? What does the Bible say? There's an answer right there. The mystery of lawlessness. The mystery of evil. There is something mysterious. Now, you know, if you get mad and cuss somebody out, that's not a mystery. That's flesh. You know, if you steal, steal a brick from work and you get, that's flesh. But the junk we're seeing in the earth today is the mystery of evil and lawlessness, there is a power behind it. There is a spirit behind it. That's called the mystery of lawlessness that's already at work. Now watch what the Bible says about this in verse seven. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who's the he in that passage? That's the Holy Spirit of God in the earth. What does the Bible say the Holy Spirit's doing? He's restraining What's he restraining? He's restraining the mystery of lawlessness. He's restraining hell and the earth. Do you have any idea what this world would be like if the Holy Spirit weren't in it? Well, you know, restrain means your buddy gets drunk and he wants to fight somebody, so you grab him and you hold him back. That's restraining him. The Bible said he who restrains, the Holy Spirit of God is holding back evil in this earth. But what does it also say about him? He's going to be taken out of this earth. He will be taken away. And he, the Spirit of God is, you, you think this earth is bad now? The evil in this earth is being held back by the presence of God in the earth, the Holy Spirit of God. But he's going out of the earth one day. And you say, I, th I thought he said he'd never leave me. Relax, he's taking you with him. Turn a few pages back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
The Bible said God is going to take the Holy Spirit out of the earth. That's 2 Thessalonians 2. But I'll listen. You, you need to learn this passage. We're fixing to look at here. This is the most encouraging. This is the looking down the road passage. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 says this. I want you to listen to God speak in this verse right here. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Is anybody here who has somebody they have lost in death? What does the Bible say? I want you to know about it. God said, I don't want you to be ignorant about what happened. You see, I've lost loved ones. I see their bodies. I see a casket. I see a funeral. I see a grave. That's all I can see. There's got to be more to it than that. What does the Bible say? I want you to know what happened to them. I don't want you to be ignorant about what happened, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And then he said this, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, there's the message right there. It doesn't say if we go to church. It doesn't say if we're smoking. It says if we put our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Dear ones, there's only one hope out of this world. There's only one eternal hope, and it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we believe Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave for our salvation, that's it. And that's all he says. It said, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. I want to ask you a deep question. How can you bring somebody with you if you do not have them with you? The Bible said, my, my mother, friends of mine that have gone on before me, the Bible said we believe, those that believe in Jesus, Jesus is going to bring them back with him, so obviously with him. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, if we're on this earth, if we're still living at the time, we're not going in front of those who are asleep or have died in front of us. All right, the Bible said, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, there's a little bit of confusion here. Some groups hold to what they call soil sleep, that when you die, you go in the ground and you go into a state of non-existence in the ground until Jesus raises you out of the grave. Non, not scriptural, unscriptural. The, the part of me that is eternal, the heart, the soul, the mind, all that part goes to be with Jesus the moment. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, 2,000 years from now, you, no, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. There was, the Bible said this in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But he has such respect for our bodies that even they will be resurrected one day. Have you ever noticed in a cemetery, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but all graves are supposed to be pointed with the headstone facing east, the feet are facing east. Look in a graveyard, especially an older one, see if it's not true. The reason is Jesus is coming from the eastern sky and people were always buried. So when they resurrect, they'll be facing right where Jesus is coming from. But the Bible said he will raise that body out of the ground. And the scripture said this, we, verse 17, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but the phrase caught up is where we get the word rapture. It simply means lifting out. And we're going to be caught up together with them, with who? Not Jesus, with those who've gone before us. The Bible said we'll be joined with them. And then all of us together will meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And I love verse 18 that says this. Use this passage to comfort people. Use this passage to encourage people. A lot of people like me have lost people that we love. Some of you got people that you love dearly that are they're on the other side. Listen, the Bible says twice that God's got a family, but his family's divided right now. Ephesians and Colossians both say the family of God, some are which in heaven, some of which are on earth. But Ephesians 3 said he's going to bring them together. This is when he brings them together right here. And we talk about reunion. Well, that, this is the reunion right here. And it's when the church is going to be caught up 
out of the earth. So the Bible says the Holy Spirit's coming out of the earth. I'm coming out of the earth. Now this is the true church, the true church of Jesus Christ. And the Bible is very clear about this, that it'll be like uh, a man who throws a net into the sea and he draws up the net and he'll put some to his right, some to his left. And the angels will go out and gather his elect from the four corners of the earth. So the, you said, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, 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 I love it. It's just wonderful. It, is this too, does this break the little, uh, let me tell you what reading the Bible like this does. It just breaks our tiny little minds. Our little intellect cannot handle the great truths of God. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is coming back to this earth and he's going to draw his church out of the earth and the Holy Spirit's coming out. And that's called the rapture of the church. I used to practice it once in a while. I didn't weigh so much. He's going to have to pull me out of that thing. So number three is the rapture of the church. And then the moment the church is raptured, now listen to this. If the Holy Spirit's taken out of the earth, what's going to happen? This earth will change. That's called the tribulation period. And number four on God's calendar, after he takes the church out of the earth, the true church, we go into what's called a tribulation period. It's a set time. And uh, this is covered in the Bible. It's covered from Revelation chapter six through 20. The majority of the book of Revelation covers that period called the tribulation period from chapter six uh, all the way through chapter 20. And that's that period of, of hell on earth is what it becomes. And uh, the Bible calls it a seven-year period. Now, disclaimer. Um, some people say, is it a, they ask, is it a literal seven years or is it a figurative period of history? Because seven is the number of completion or perfection in the Bible. I believe it's a literal seven years, but if it turns out to be a little bit longer, you're going to hear me fussing because I'm going to be with Jesus either way. I don't care how long you do that stuff down here. But the point is there's a set period of history where the Holy Spirit is out of the earth this being called the Antichrist will rule in the earth and uh, literally it becomes hell on earth. You can read the book of Revelation chapter 6 through 20 where it describes it. You say, why, why, does that, why is it going to be so bad in the earth? Here's the simple answer. Humanity chose it. Mankind chose. Mankind always has to make a choice between the son of God and the man of sin. And mankind has chosen the man of sin. Let me give you a prophetic picture of this back when Jesus was crucified. Jesus was on trial and Pilate brought him out and stood him before the people. And the Bible said it was his custom to release one prisoner at the Passover to the people. And they said, he said to them, do you want me to release the, the king of the Jews, the son of God? And they said, no, away with him. Give us Barabbas. And they chose Barabbas. Barabbas was a prisoner who was locked up for rebellion and murder. And then in Acts chapter three, Simon said, you chose a murderer over the son of God. And humanity's always made that decision. The world has chosen the murderer over the Son of God who gives life. And just, I'm gonna put it in language you can understand. The tribulation period is where God with a tear says, you asked for it, here's what you wanted. And that's that period where hell will dominate in the earth. It's an awful period of world history that goes through there. And uh, I'm gonna say two things about the tribulation period. Number one, the sad news is it is untold suffering. That is sad, it's truly sad. Listen, you, you can't imagine what it was like. The Bible said there will be a period of tribulation such as has never been on the earth nor will ever be. Here's the good news about the tribulation period. Nobody has to go through it. Everybody can miss that part if they want to. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you miss the tribulation period. You put your faith in Christ. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I mean, dear ones, life is, all, life is not about, 
education, non-education, rich, poor, life is about the son of man or the man of sin. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow Jesus or are you going to follow the other one? And so that's that terrible period uh, on God's count. And then the last one of all, number five, coming to a planet near you someday is paradise reclaimed. It's called the true second coming of Jesus. Now, the rapture of the church is not the second coming of Jesus. If you notice in that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, he did not come all the way to the earth. He came down out of the clouds and brought his church out of the earth. But in the second coming of Jesus, he comes back to the earth. I can take you to the spot in Jerusalem, show you right now where his foot will sit. Right there on the temple mat, I'm sure he's going to sit. By the way, let me throw this in for free. Tonight, if, if uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu allows it, the first lamb will be sacrificed. By the way, tonight is Passover in Jerusalem. The first lamb sacrificed since the days of Christ will be sacrificed on the Temple Mount tonight. Uh, uh, they got pre-permission. looks like Mr. Netanyahu is going to let them do that. And this will be the first lamb sacrificed tonight that has been since the days of Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back soon. But he, we can, I can show you where he's going to come back to. He's going to rule in Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus, that's when Jesus comes back to receive the reward of his suffering. The Bible said he endured the pain of the cross looking to the reward. Well, the reward is not that he got to go to heaven. He had that before he came here. The reward is that he comes back and claims his bride. What a beautiful picture in Genesis where, <laughs> bless his dear heart, he works, Jacob worked seven years, seven years to get a bride. Of course, seven, the number of completion. And the Bible said this, it seemed but like a few days because his love for her was so great. The Bible said Jesus endured the cross to receive the prize of his bride. Well, this is where he gets the reward of his suffering. And I want us to look just a little bit in the book of Revelation at what it says will happen during that time. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Perhaps you've heard of the battle of Armageddon or just the phrase Armageddon. This is where at the end of the tribulation period, Jesus is coming back to this earth. He came the first time as a humble, suffering servant. I promise you, he's not coming back like that the second time. Revelation chapter 19. This is what, I started to say I love it, but I just love it all. Revelation chapter 19. The scripture says this, Revelation 19, 11. This is the return of Christ to the earth. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. He who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. His garment was a robe dipped in blood. What's that reference to? The cross that he had to endure to wear that white robe. His name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Now that's, let me tell you what the book of Revelation is. That's Jesus. The Jesus we see like pictured on the little picture of the Lamb's Chapel or meek and mild Jesus holding the sheep. That's not Jesus. That's who Jesus was at one time. Revelation is who Jesus is now. His eyes are a flame of fire now. And then, of course, this great battle that takes place in the earth. I can take you to the valley where it's going to take place in Israel. It's called the Megiddo Valley. That's where the name Armageddon came from. Verse 19, I saw the beast. The kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. The beast was captured with him, the false prophet who worked signs in the presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, those who worshiped his image. Let me just pause for a minute. To stay in this earth after the tribulation period, you have to receive what's called the mark of the beast. 
Uh, and the Bible said you receive it in your, your forehead, you'll receive it on your hand. A lot of debate about that. Some people believe it's a literal mark. A lot of people believe it's the new magnetic chip that goes under there. I'm not sure what it is. I, th I think it may be that you think like they tell you to think and your practices are what they tell you. But I'm not sure what it is, but I know this. You have to bow down. You say, well, I won't do that. Yes, you will. Whoever does not receive the mark of the beast can neither buy nor sell. You can't function in the earth without bowing down to this being, this beast that he's talking about here, who will rule the earth. But this is where he and Jesus and the armies have the great confrontation there. And those who worshiped his image, these two were cast into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. The rest were killed to the swords who proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Uh, verse 22 of chapter 19 says, game over. If I don't see it in there, just put that in there, game over. That's it. That's the last rebellion in this earth against the son of God who created it. And it's done right there. That's the end of the rebellion against God in that place. And then of course, Jesus uh, in this new heaven, in this new earth, so wonderful for time's sake, I'm going to cut through, but I want to read just a little bit. I want to take a little bit of time what's left here and talk about what it's like where we're going. And Revelation 21 is the most beautiful pictures. And it says this. Now remember 21 slips over into the third period where God's will is done again in the earth. This is where you see his perfect will done. Chapter 21 of Revelation, I saw a new heaven and a what? A new earth. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And th this is just a, it's just wonderful. All right. The first heaven and the, read these words, the first earth did what? Passed away. It's gone. This earth we're sitting on is going to be gone one day. Now I, I belong to a conservation association. I believe we ought to take care of the planet, but this planet is temporary. It was not designed to last forever. There's a new earth coming in which righteousness dwells. And uh, verse three said this, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is now with men. He will dwell with him. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse three is what it was supposed to have been to start with. That's supposed to have been life to start with. The great promise of second Chronicles uh, 4.18 says, 6.18 says this, I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me. And this is where the promise is fulfilled that we get to move in. Somebody should write a, a verse like this that goes, in my father's house are many mansions. Actually, the word is rooms, I'm sorry. Many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to, I go to what? Prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I am coming back and getting you so that you can live in the big house. Where I am, you can be there. It's all about the father's house. This is God's ultimate purpose in the earth is Revelation 21, 3, that we will be together. And I'll be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters. And I love verse four. This is the first thing he does in the new earth. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Any crying in the earth you know of right now? My goodness. Now here's what it looks like. There'll be no more death. Could you imagine a, a place where there is no sorrow, no crying? Now watch this. Watch this one. No more pain. A lot of people think about arthritis, heart disease. Yes, that's painful. Most of the pain we're suffering on this earth is not physical. I talked with a young lady today, just a little while ago, she had to break off her wedding and she just wept and she said, I know it's right, but it hurts so bad. Most of the pain that's on this earth right now is not physical, it's heart pain. It's, it's relationship pain. What does the Bible say? That day's coming to an end. There will be no more pain in the earth. 
these former things have passed away. And I love the promise of verse five. He who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, now see what you think about this. Write these words are true and faithful. Everybody's got to make a decision. Are these words true? Is he telling the truth right here? Everything we've read tonight is the truth of God and where he's promised this is what he's going to do in this new earth. Now, let me take just a minute. I don't want to take much time, but you said, well, people have asked me, many people have asked me, well, what are we going to do in heaven? Well, it's not going to be like a stinking Charmin bathroom tissue commercial where you sit on a cloud. That'd be hell to me. That's not heaven. Listen to me. The Bible has much to say about it. It is a new earth. If you want to know what the new earth is going to be like, look at the first earth he created without man screwing it up. There will be rivers in the new earth. There will be flowers in the new earth. There will be flora in the new earth. It's going to be beautiful. We know there'll be animals because the Bible mentions many of them that are going to be in there. It's going to be a new earth. Perfect. It's going to be the pristine earth. Unlike the one we've screwed up. I see these pictures of people in heaven. Everything's white and they're sitting on these fluffy clouds and little fat angels with little dumpy wings. And I'm not going there. I'm going to the new earth where I'm going. I do want to show you a couple things we're going to do in the new earth. Let's just look at this real quick. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. One of the great prophecies about what we're going to be doing one day. Since you be going, since you be going there, let's look in the catalog and see what we're going to do. Isaiah chapter 11. And I think this is, many people talk about streets of gold, all this stuff. I'm going to show you the greatest thing about heaven of the new earth, the eternal life, where we're going to spend the majority of our time at. Let me show you the greatest thing about it. It's in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9 says this. They shall not hurt. And this is a prophecy of the coming new earth. Isaiah 11 is. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's the greatest part of heaven right there. The word knowledge is the Hebrew word presence. The whole earth will be so full of the presence of God. What water is to a fish in the ocean, that will be the presence of God to you. Now, we've had times in worship and prayer where we felt God draw close to us. Multiply that by a thousand times all the time. I mean, every place you go in the new earth, every step you take, you feel the peace, the joy, the love, the compassion, the freedom of God. It's just, it's just like you're so aware that of God is just, He's here. He's here and you're just overwhelmed with his love and his, his, that's the presence of the Lord and it will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's why they're not going to hurt on all my holy mountain anymore. You can't do wrong in that presence. If God manifests his presence, all evil would stop just like that. And he's going to do that. In the new earth, you'll be the undiluted presence of God. Let me show you some of the result of that. In, in, let's read in verse six a little bit. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. Perhaps you've heard this. All the enmity in the animal kingdom will go out of the earth because of the presence of God covering the earth. And uh, said that, uh, verse, verse six, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, a little child will lead them. That can be cool. A little child goes out and grab a lion by the mane and walks into the house and said, look, mama, kitty, kitty, got kitty here. There's no enmity in the earth. There's no uh, violence in the earth. There's, there's nothing that could hurt because the presence of God covers the earth. And uh, verse seven, the cow and the bear shall graze. The young ones shall lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. No more meat eating in the earth. Sorry about that, all you steak lovers. 
The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. The weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Now, verse 8, I've read that before, and I've watched women recoil in their seats as you read it. You know what that is? That's the fear that's in the earth because the knowledge of the Lord didn't cover the earth. There's no fear in the new earth. A child will reach down and pick up a cobra, put him around his neck, carry him home with him. And the cobra can't hurt him because of the presence of the Lord. There's no fear. There's no pain. There's no enmity. There's no strife in the earth. Uh, this, this, the only thing I know to tell you is you need to be there. And the, then it goes on to say, of course, they shall not hurt. Let me show you one, one more. Let me show you tanks instead of, excuse me, tractors instead of tanks. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2. I'm going to show you two things here before we wrap up. So you've got the presence of God in the new earth. Listen, the new earth is not the beauty of the flowers. It's not the beauty of the mansions. It is the presence of God. It is the undiluted, sweet presence of God that we'll be in forever. Your heart was created for the presence of God. Nothing can satisfy your heart like the presence of God. That's Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so longs my soul for God. He said, man, I went to church and hated it. It does not say your soul longs for church. It says your soul longs for God. We were created to experience God eternally. And that's what the new earth is. Now, I, I love uh, Isaiah chapter 2. And the Bible talks about verse, Isaiah 2, 2 says this. It shall come to pass in the latter days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. Let me ask you, how, how do you know that's not talking about today? Because the whole earth is not walking in his paths. They've not been taught by God how to live. Out of Zion shall go the law. Verse four, he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many peoples. Now watch what happens. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. What did the Bible say? No more tanks, no more missiles, no more fighter jets. We're going to build tractors and combines. Instead of building weapons of war, we'll build weapons of agriculture, excuse me, weapons, instruments of agriculture. And listen, we're going to farm in the new earth. How are you going to eat if you don't farm? He said, well, I don't think they eat in heaven. Do you not read the Bible? Listen, do you not understand? Do you remember when Jesus was resurrected with his resurrection body? And he said to Mary, don't touch me yet. This is a resurrection body. He went immediately and he walked through the wall with that new body into where the disciples were hidden. And what's the first thing he said to him? Do you have anything to eat? And they had fish and a honeycomb and he sat down and he ate the fish and the honeycomb in front of them. The Bible said in Philippians 3, we're going to have a body just like that. You got to feed this body. That's why we're going to beat our swords into plowshares and we got to have tractors. And I'm, I'm not plowing with a mule in heaven. My goodness, surely heaven got to be better than that. And uh, they'll have the red tractors there. They're going to have, and the, and the scripture says this, they won't learn more anymore. There's an old spiritual years ago, a guy named Nat King Cole made it famous. Going to lay down my sword and my shield down by the riverside. Angle, study no war no more. It came out of that passage right there. And it's a time where people will, everything creative will be for the good and not for destruction. Oh, what a wonderful time that's going to be when we get there. And uh, I'll just throw these, we won't look these up. You're not going to sit around and play a harp all the time in heaven. The Bible said that you'll have management responsibilities in heaven. Luke chapter 19, verse 17, Jesus said this, well done, good and faithful, enter in. Because you were faithful in a few things, I will make you the manager or the ruler over five cities. So there'll be management responsibilities in heaven. 
Uh, Matthew 25, where Jesus gave the talents, five, two, and one, to different people. And by their faithfulness, he rewarded them and said, well done, good and faithful. You were faithful in some little things. Therefore, I will make you the ruler over big things. Now, what does that passage teach me and you? This earth is where I manage the little things God's put me in charge of, whether it's a church, a business, a family, my personal life, my testimony, my witness. How I manage this here determines not whether I go to heaven or not, my position in heaven, what I manage in eternity. He said, well, I'm, I'm just a, I just live on a farm and I'm married to a farmer and I don't ever get out of the house. Manage it well. Manage what God gave you well and you will be the ruler over five cities for all of eternity. I don't want you in the laundry room for all of eternity. I want you in management when eternity comes and enjoy it. All right, let, let's, uh, let, let me take a minute. I got to answer a question here. Often when you talk about this, people criticize you and they'll say, you're one of them people who just that pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. What about the nasty here and now? We fed 8,000 people that are hungry from this church last week. We're taking care of the here and now right now, but I'm going to tell you something. This is our eternal hope. This, I read to you, we're not going to go back and look at it, but in 2 Peter 3, I showed you three times in there where it says we are to be looking for and longing diligently for the coming of Jesus. This is our blessed hope. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. I, I think I've told you, the week or two before I got married, I was so excited. I just wanted to get to the wedding. Well, it is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the Bible said we should have that kind of attitude in our hearts about Him coming. All right, let me answer another question. I've had young people say this to me. I don't want Him to come back right now. I hadn't had a chance to get married. And I think, are you sure? I hadn't had a chance to have family. I can understand that kind of thinking. But I promise you, I promise you, if Jesus comes back before you get your little plans fulfilled, you will not be disappointed. It, you will not sit in heaven and say, shoot, I could have been on the earth. I promise you, that's not what you're going to be saying. Philippians 2.13 says this, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Now, I got a good life. I'm loving my life. I enjoy it. But I want to tell you something. There's something better than what we got right here. To depart and be with Christ is far better. So don't ever, let's don't fall so in love with what we got here that we forget this ain't the big deal. Jesus is the big deal. That's the big one right there. That's the one we're looking forward to. All righty. I'm going to show you one more scripture. What's the last thing the Bible says to you and me? Last word in the Bible. Let's look at it. Turn to the last page of the Bible. The very last page. You know, the last thing you say is usually pretty important. The very last thing the Bible tells you and I, and that, though this is wonderful right here, and sometimes you get a chance to read Revelation chapters 21, 22. That's the description of the new earth and where we'll live forever. But the last thing that's said in the Bible, it's two lovers talking to each other. Revelation 22 verse 20 says this, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. What's the last thing Jesus said in the Bible? Those are the red words. The last thing he said in the Bible is, I'm coming. You say, well, how come it's been 2,000 years if it says quickly? That's a great question. The Greek word doesn't mean very soon. It means when it starts happening, it will happen quick. Systematically would be a better word. Jesus said, I'm coming. And the last thing he said is, I'm coming. What's the last thing the bride said to Jesus in the Bible? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. What do you hear right there? You know what I hear right there? I hear a man saying, I cannot wait till our wedding day. You know what the bride answered him? Neither can I. I'm coming. He, and the bride says, come on, Lord Jesus. I'm ready for you to come right now. This is the last message in the Bible. And then, of course, he says, grace to everybody. What's the heart of Jesus, according to the last thing he said in the Bible? 
I can't wait to get back and get my people. I can't wait to get back to my bride. What is the heart of the bride? Take your time. I'm having fun fishing down here. Is that the heart of the bride? Come as quick as you can. You get here as quick as you can. Demons, our heart, listen, I love life. I got the greatest life going, but there's something down inside of here that says, you come as quick as you can. I want you to come back just as soon as you can. We're going to listen to a song, but before we do that, I want to say this. What if everything we've seen tonight is true? I didn't make this up. I've shown you everything I said in the Bible tonight. You've got to decide, is this true or not? Now, here's the big issue. If it's true, should that affect my life? If this is true, what should we be doing? Let me put it to you like this. When the Titanic struck the iceberg, was that time to be asking the band to play new songs? Was that time to be arguing with somebody who has the best seat on the promenade deck? When the Titanic struck the iceberg, what was it time to be doing? Since the ship was going down, what was it time to be doing? Lifeboat. Get the people in the lifeboat. Women, children, preachers first. Get them in the lifeboat was the main thing. What is the church in America doing today? If this is true, if these things be true, what should be the number one thing we're doing? We got to get the good news out that heaven's door is standing wide open. But just like the ark, they're going to come a day that door is going to close and the flood's going to come. But I want to do this before we quit. They're going to be a little bit different tonight. Let's do this. By the way, Jesus is the lifeboat. I showed you in Matthew 24 where there's going to be some confusion about that in the latter days. But you can rest assured John 14, 6 will be standing when this earth is done. I am the way, the truth, the life, and nobody comes to the Father unless he comes by me. That's eternal truth right there. All right. I want to play a song for you that was written out of the last thing in the Bible. I love this song. And I want you to take a little time because... I hope you enjoyed what the Word had to say tonight. But let's don't just hear the Word and say, man, I believe that's in the Bible. Let's hear the Word and say, let's ask the Holy Spirit to talk to me. Tell me something. I want you to ask Jesus to speak to you during this song. And we're going to play this song, and I want you to listen to it. I want you to get quiet and say, Lord, speak to me about my life. Speak to me about what I've heard tonight. Speak to me about my family, what I need to be doing. Lord, you talk for a little bit. Fellas, play my song, and I want you to listen to this with me.
Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you. The cry of our hearts is just come tonight. I know I don't control the time, but tonight would be wonderful. But I know that that date is set and no man knoweth the hour, only the Father which is in heaven. But we believe with all of our hearts that Jesus is coming back to this earth to receive what he died to get. You are going to get the bride that you paid for. And we want to be a part. I pray for everybody that's listening tonight. If they don't know that they know that they know if he comes back tonight, I'm going with him. They settle it right now. They bow their knee to Jesus and beg for mercy and say, I believe in you as my Savior and my Lord in my life and call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Lord Jesus, get them ready. Get us ready. Get everybody ready so you can come back. Whether it's tonight, tomorrow night, years from now, whatever it is, we're going to live ready. And I just want to say this, we cannot wait to see you face to face. Even so, come Lord Jesus, be glorified in this earth. We're going to worship you and praise you and serve you and love you and love people and do right till you get back. But oh, what a day that will be when we see you face to face. We cannot wait. And the last word spoken, we echo it a thousand times. Even so, come Lord Jesus. In his precious name we pray, amen. And amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us tonight. I love you.